Man, I pulled weeds yesterday. I can hardly get up those steps right there. The back of my legs, man, I just hate, I hate being 47. Uh, it's tough. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. So happy to be in God's house with you today. All of you in the overflow, we love you. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Pastor Brian and Tina uh, at Church on the Square in Perry, Oklahoma, we, we love you so much. Worship the Lord together with us by opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. As we gather here at Woodburn Campus this morning, I just want to let you know if you haven't heard that Jack Wright's father died yesterday, Ralph Wright. Uh, so be in prayer for Jack and his family. Uh, they're making arrangements. They are going to see if Rob, who is in Afghanistan, if Rob can possibly come back for his grandfather's funeral. And so they'll be making plans. Also remember that Linda Hunter's mother died, Goldie Harper, and she will be buried on Thursday. So uh, let's, uh, let's take good care of one another, all of us this week. Luke chapter 23, we're going to pick up with verse 26. I'm in the middle of a message series entitled 24 Hours. We are uh, walking together the road to Calvary with Christ. We're looking at the very last 24 hours of his life. I insist that you can learn a lot about a man by watching how he dies. And today is one of those moments when we look at Jesus on his way now to the cross itself. And and he does a rather uh, amazing thing. One of the things that you just can't help but notice in this story, in, in these last 24 hours, is how actually, how little Jesus speaks. Once Gethsemane has passed and once Jesus is placed under arrest, it's interesting how Jesus just simply stops speaking. In one place it uses an Old Testament passage to remind us that he's like a lamb led to slaughter. He, he just doesn't say anything. A lot of this has to do with Jesus's. Uh, refusal to give any kind of defense. He's not trying to avoid the cross. He's not trying to prove himself innocent. Jesus isn't having his life taken away from him. Jesus is laying his life down. So, So don't miss that fact. For that reason, he just doesn't say much all night long during his trial. He doesn't answer the charges. He says very few words to Pontius Pilate, very few words to Herod. Jesus just simply silently makes his way to the cross, which is what makes today's episode sort of interesting. Now, last week we were at daybreak about six in the morning when Jesus was before Pilate. We know that he's going to be nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. at nine in the morning. So right now we are probably at about 8 a.m., about eight in the morning. And Jesus now is, is literally carrying his cross, carrying the cross to the place where he will be executed. This was part of crucifixion. This was part of the Roman way of public execution. They wanted public execution to be so awful. They wanted it to be so humiliating, so absolutely dreadful to look at that nobody would ever want to do anything that would, that, would, that would bring them under the same sentence. And for that reason, they tended to make crucifixion as public as possible and as horrible as possible. This is the primary way that the Romans executed criminals. And, and sometimes they, they would crucify a hundred. They say at one point they, they crucified 3,600 people in one day. So understand, it, it's very common. And to see a man carrying his cross down the street, unfortunately, in Jesus' day, was almost an everyday occurrence. And now Jesus is one of those men carrying a cross down the streets of Jerusalem. And, and this is where we pick up. 
what makes this episode interesting is that Jesus, who hasn't said much of anything to anybody, pauses. He pauses. Now, Jesus at this point has already been scourged. He's been beaten. He can hardly stand the loss of blood, the loss of fluids, the, the entire night where he has not slept. Jesus is, is nearly a dead man walking now. But he stops and he speaks to the women. You, you just got to wonder what it is that makes this exchange so important. He, he stops and he speaks to these women. I have a feeling the words are very important for all of us, so let's take a look at them. Luke chapter 23. We're going to start with verse 26. We'll talk about Simon of Cyrene tonight, uh, but, but I'll read this verse this morning. Uh, verse 26, Luke chapter 23. This is the word of the Lord. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldier seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And this tells us several things. First off, remember last week we were talking about how Jesus had said, if someone asks you to walk a mile, if a soldier asks you to walk a mile, go the extra mile with him. This is an illustration of that. The Roman soldiers could pull anybody out of the crowd at any moment and make them carry things for them. And in this instance, they pull a man out of the crowd. His name is Simon. They pull Simon out of the crowd to carry Jesus' cross. Now, this is not common. It only illustrates the fact that Jesus is now barely capable of getting himself down the street. And so, in order to make sure he gets to his place of execution, they pull a man out of the crowd to carry his cross. Verse 27. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Really interesting verse. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus' words to the daughters of Jerusalem. Take your seats. Let's talk about it. This time of year, uh, 2004, I believe, uh, Mel Gibson uh, rattled Hollywood and, and, and honestly made quite an impact all over the world with his his film, The Passion of the Christ. Did anybody see that? Do you all see that? Do you remember that? A lot of us, a lot of us saw that. Um, it was a very controversial movie in, in a day when it's hard to, to make real controversy, especially with something religious. And Mel Gibson honestly tried to handle the, the theme and, and depict Jesus' death in very realistic, very biblical terms. And, and that was his goal. He, he wanted to, to really bring the Bible to life and help people understand the, the, the sufferings, the, the passion of the Christ. It was controversial. The early reviews of the movie were, uh, were dramatic. Uh, the first theaters full of people that were going tended to have very strong emotional responses. The, the theater that I sat in here in Bowling Green, I went to a late night showing. Uh, it was very painful to watch. 
it, it did have an R rating, which was amazing for a movie about Jesus. The R rating was simply because of the blood. And in this movie, the blood just poured and splattered, and it was, it was very painful to watch. In the theater where I was, I could hear people sobbing from the, from the beginning to the end, just crying out loud. I could hear people gasp at, at times. I gasped at times, and I cried as well. It was one of the most, most painful things I've ever, ever tried to watch. When the movie first came out, it was interesting. The, the reviewer said that, that the Passion of the Christ is not a popcorn movie. And that's what they said. Not a popcorn movie. So, so eight years later, I have, I have a couple of reflections now about that film, and especially as I read the scripture this morning. One of the things that strikes me is, is Mel Gibson said that he wanted to use the Bible, the Bible as his source. But, but what's ironic is that he ends up with a movie that's nothing like the Bible. It's really nothing like the story as it's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And that's the only place you find the story of Jesus' death. But Mel Gibson ended up doing what none of those Gospels do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. None of them linger over Jesus' sufferings. They just don't. The, the scourging of Jesus, which was the most controversial scene in Mel Gibson's movie, it, it lasted something like 20 minutes, and it was excruciating to, to watch. You realize the scripture just goes right past that. I, I guarantee you it happened exactly like Mel Gibson showed it. It was exactly that bloody and that horrible, but, but pay attention to the fact that scripture doesn't linger over that in, in the same way that Mel Gibson wanted to. Scripture doesn't really describe the blood flowing and splattering. It just doesn't do that. It does not zoom in on, on the sufferings of Christ. Scripture has a more important lesson to communicate, and it's the lesson that most of us seem to miss. It's probably the lesson that the daughters of Jerusalem were, were, were missing. One more thing about the movie, then I'll be done with that. You know, they said it was not a popcorn movie. That's what they said before the movie came out. When it was all said and done, and the statistics were in from the Passion of the Christ, turns out popcorn sales in theaters showing Passion of the Christ were up 77%. One theater manager was quoted as saying, a lot of people watching the Passion of the Christ ate large popcorns. Really? You're telling me that we're capable of, of, of sobbing out loud, and we're, some of us were passing out in the floor. We're capable of watching all of that blood and, and gasping for the sufferings of Christ while at the same time eating a large popcorn. Yeah, we're capable of that. It, it, it's part of our nature. It, it's part of human, fallen, sinful nature. There's something about that. We are just that contradictory. We can weep and cry and groan over the sufferings of Jesus and just munch popcorn and go on home and have our lives completely unchanged. This is what brings us to the daughters of Jerusalem this morning. Do you understand? Now, often when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, when we think about how he died, when we see the movies, when we watch the Easter pageants at church, 
we sometimes get this idea that, that the whole town was against Jesus. That, that everybody just somehow turned on him. The, the, the thousands of people that, that, that Jesus fed in the countryside. All of those who had heard him teach and preach and those who had seen him heal. We sometimes give this impression that, that everybody turned against him. And honestly, that's not the case. Jesus' fame had spread everywhere. He was well-known. He was a threat to the Romans because he had a great following. And it is not simply the case that everybody turned against Jesus. His disciples did scatter out of fear, absolutely. And lots of people, once Jesus was taken to trial, they were afraid to share his name. I mean, honestly, they were afraid for themselves. But it doesn't mean everybody turned against him. The mob of people that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. The, the mob of people who cried out, give us Barabbas, understand, that was not everybody. That was not all of Jerusalem. That was a mob of people who happened to be a part of this whole fake trial that Jesus was involved in all night long. All of that happened at midnight. It, it wasn't in the public square in the highest part of the day. Do you, do you understand? That all happened at night. Most people would not have even known what was happening. They didn't know about Gethsemane. They don't understand that Jesus has been arrested. They were not there when the mob shouted, crucify him. Most people knew nothing about that. They would begin finding out as they woke up in the morning. They would start finding out as they wake up in the morning. They turn on Good Morning America. They see George Stephanopoulos and Robin Roberts talking about breaking news. It's breaking news, did you understand? The news just starts to spread through the town that Jesus has been arrested, that Jesus has been condemned to die. Do you understand? Most people find out like that. And according to the scripture, the streets start to fill up with people. The Romans fear a riot, a mob. The streets start to fill up with people who are just finding this out now. Most of these people would know who Jesus is. Most of them would be shocked to learn that an innocent man, and they know he's innocent. Most of the people are, are going to be shocked to learn that an innocent man is about to be executed in the worst possible way. People begin to come out. Uh, the, the, the news is that Jesus is now coming down the street. Understand, this is how they did it. They made it public. They made it a parade. They would make the men strip naked, carry their own crosses all the way to the outskirts of town. It was horrible to watch. Horrible to watch. So, so uh, according to Luke's account, as Jesus begins this long, horrible, bloody walk to Mount Calvary, there, there becomes a, just a mob of people who are trailing behind him, walking with him, and a lot of them women. And they're crying, they're weeping, they're mourning. The words that Luke uses there are, are, are the most graphic words for, for grief. They're beating their breasts, they are tearing their clothes, they are crying rivers of tears for Jesus. And Jesus, who hasn't said much of anything now for, for, for all of these hours, he stops and he talks to these people. He stops and he talks to these women who are grieving for him. 
And don't miss the fact that it's actually a kind of rebuke. Now, now it's a gentle rebuke. I do believe that Jesus appreciates their sympathies for him. I think that Jesus must appreciate in this moment that there are genuinely people who will come out into the streets and cry for him. That that must have been some comfort. But understand, Jesus is not thinking about himself. In, In no moment, in no moment of his life, and certainly not in his death, is Jesus thinking about himself. And so Jesus stops with what little energy he, he has, with what little breath he has, he turns around and he speaks to these women. And what does he say? Do not weep for me. Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Really interesting. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourself. What's he saying to them? Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, plead with the hills, bury us. In verse 31, what does this even mean? For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What is Jesus talking about? Jesus always knows people's hearts. He he always understands. He he sees these women. He, he, He knows them. And you and I need to sort of get through some of the emotion of this passage in order to see some things ourselves. You've got to recognize that these these women are not necessarily disciples. They know Jesus. A lot of people knew Jesus. He's famous. But understand, not everybody who knew Jesus actually followed Jesus. Not everybody who knew of him or heard him teach and preach, not everybody who's following him this day on that road to Calvary, they're not really followers. And these daughters of Jerusalem, they're not what you could call followers. They're not believers. They're not believers in, in, in that sense. And this is why Jesus has to turn around and, and rebuke them. It's why Jesus has to turn around and try to redirect their, their eyes. Because they're not believers. And understand, unbelief is always blind. These are women who have strong sympathies for Jesus, but they do not have faith. And Jesus wants us to have faith. Faith is more important than sympathy. Faith is more important than emotion. And understand, crying tears for Jesus is not the same thing as believing in Jesus. It's not the same thing as seeing who he is and what he's doing. And Jesus wants these women to begin to see who he is and what he's doing. They don't see. Now understand, that they're kindly disposed toward Jesus, that they seem to have affection for him, that they may even love him, that they're crying tears for him. But I'm telling you, unbelief is blind even if it's kind. Unbelief is still blind. They don't see. They don't see what's happening here, and they don't see how it affects them. They're weeping for a man. They're weeping as a, as a response to what they see with their eyes. And what they see with their eyes is an innocent man being brutally executed by a corrupt government. They can see that. They can see a Jewish man, one of their own, humiliated by the Romans, the Gentiles. They can see that. 
They can see a man so brutally tortured. He's not the first and he won't be the last. Do you understand? Lots of people died on a cross just like Jesus died on the cross. It's not that his sufferings, his physical sufferings are the worst ever. That's not the point. And this is what Jesus tries to communicate to the women. They're missing the point. If they're weeping for him, they're missing the point. If all that they see is, is another man carrying a cross to his death, bloody and dying, and if that breaks their hearts, Jesus needs to turn around and help them understand what ought to break their hearts. There's something here that they just don't see. It has everything to do with faith. And that's why it's important for us to hear Jesus' words to these women. Because to tell you the truth, a whole lot of people are exactly like these people, like these women. A lot of people who come to church every single Sunday probably fall into this category. They are sympathizers with Jesus, perhaps. Maybe they're kindly disposed toward religion. Maybe these are people who, who really like the idea of the Ten Commandments or, or people who like the idea of, of bringing the family to, to church. But I'm telling you, all of these, all of these warm feelings toward Christ or, or all of these religious activities that, that, that make you feel good, you understand, that's not necessarily adding up to faith. And the scripture says without faith it is impossible to please God. You've got to have faith, genuine faith. And this is what these women don't necessarily have. This is what Jesus turns around and tries to probe their hearts for. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children because a day is coming. He wants them to see what they don't see. My goodness, unbelief is always blind. There's always so much that it, that it doesn't see. And this is what I'm saying. There's a real difference between people of genuine faith and people who, who don't have genuine faith. And the real difference comes down to what they see in the world, what they see. Scripture says that, that faith is the, the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things what? Not seen. In other words, faith always has this way of connecting the dots between our heart and, and, and an unseen world. It connects the dots between the world that we see and the world that we cannot see. The world of spiritual things, the world where God dwells. You understand? Turn in your Bibles back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what Paul says. Verse 14. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This verse may be talking about you. This might be talking about you. Listen, people who aren't spiritual can't receive the truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. It's just the whole world. They live in a physical world. They live only in the world of things that they can see, the things they can put their hands on, the stuff of everyday life. They don't understand things of faith. They don't see things that are spiritual. 
I haven't seen it yet, but, but I did hear that Pastor Mark Driscoll, who's an amazing pastor, was on The View the other week. That must have been awesome. If you want to send a pastor anywhere in the world, send him to The View. I mean, that's what I say. Uh, pastor Mark Driscoll, they say, just actually spoke like a very, very good Christian man. He talked about marriage and talked about his new book on marriage. And he was just saying things that honestly every person of faith would just agree with. These things shouldn't even be controversial, but Barbara Walters' head nearly exploded. You understand? It's like he's not even speaking English. When you speak the language of faith, when you speak of spiritual things to people who are not spiritual, they won't get it. And the scripture says they, they can't get it. They truly can't get it. If you don't have faith, you don't understand things of faith. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, you truly don't understand things of the Spirit. And if you're a believer and you spend much time talking to unbelievers, you've got to know that this is true. They don't see it. They don't see it. They look at the Bible as just another book and not even a particularly interesting book. They don't see it. They don't get it. If they find out that you were in church once or even twice on a Sunday, they don't understand why you would waste a good Sunday like that. When, when you talk about trying to raise your kids to be godly men and women, trying to stay sexually pure and keep their mouths clean, you, you understand? They don't even understand that. They think that somehow you're warping your kids. They don't understand it. Because these are spiritual things, matters of faith. And most people can't see. They don't have eyes to see these things. Understand, these women are, are weeping for Jesus. They have strong emotions and, and something draws them to Jesus. But at the very same time, they don't understand the meaning of what's happening. That They weep for him. They respond emotionally to Jesus passing by. But they don't seem to understand what does this mean. Who is he really and what is he doing? They don't see. They do not see that it is truly his sins that he is carrying down the street. He's carrying their sins for them down the street. They don't see that. They don't see that, that his death is for them. Weep not for me, but for yourselves, Jesus says. They don't understand that. And for your children, they don't understand what this has to do with their kids. They can't see his blood being poured out as a sacrifice, as a payment for their sins. They can't see that. They can't see that this man who will be buried in a tomb will rise again in three days. They can't see that. They can't see him on his throne again when he goes back to be with his father. They can't see that. They can't see any of that. Jesus turns around and says, weep not for me, weep for yourselves. He's trying somehow to generate faith. He's trying to make them ask, what does this mean? And what does it have to do with me? Because the truth is, when you really begin to understand who Jesus is, when you really begin to understand what his death means, when you really begin to understand who he is and what he's doing, you will love him, you might weep for him, but your main concern is going to be about your soul. When you really understand what Jesus is doing, your concern is going to be for your own soul. Weep not for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. 
there are things they don't see because they are sympathizers, but they're not believers. And because of that, they don't understand that they have not seen the worst yet. They haven't seen the worst yet. Weep for yourselves and for your children, Jesus says, for days are coming. When people will, will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless. Now stop. Who would say that? Some of you in this house are childless. You know what it is to want a baby for all of your married life and never, ever be able to conceive. You know what that is. In the ancient world, it was considered a curse. If a woman was not able to have a baby, that was considered somehow that God was punishing her or, or being cruel to her. But Jesus says the day's coming when people will say, you know, you'd be better off never to have children. Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, the breasts that have never nursed. Why would people say that? Why would anybody say you'd be better off never to have kids? Why would anybody say that? Because you know the worst thing in the world, the, the, the absolute worst thing in the world is to watch your children suffer. Nothing more difficult than watching your child suffer. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Days are coming when, when people will say you'd be better off not to have children because you would rather tear your eyes out than see your kids suffer what they're going to have to suffer, Jesus says. Days are coming. You think you're seeing suffering today. You ain't seen nothing yet, ladies. You haven't seen anything yet. There's a day coming that is going to be so dreadful that, that mothers would tear their eyes out rather than watch their children go through it. Be better to never have children, Jesus says. People will beg the mountains fall on us. The, they'll beg the hills just, just bury us. People begging to die. Death better than life. Jesus says, you think you're seeing suffering today? You haven't seen suffering yet. You understand? Jesus is still trying to get them to connect the dots. He wants them to connect the dots. Of course they're crying for him. They're having this emotional experience with Jesus, this emotional response to what they see with their eyes. But they don't see far enough. They don't see deeply enough. They don't understand what any of this means. And Jesus wants them to start asking the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? Why would Jesus stop and say this to these women? Because he doesn't want their sympathy. He does not want their sympathy. He doesn't want their emotions. He wants their repentance. He doesn't want their sympathy. He wants their repentance. Now he's not rebuking them for crying. Let's, let's make that clear. It's not a sin to cry. And as I said, I think Jesus probably, there's a part of him that appreciates their, their feelings for him. But you've got to understand that feelings for Jesus don't save anybody. Feelings for Jesus aren't going to take your sins away. Feelings for Jesus are not what Jesus is looking for. It's not sympathy that he's asking for. Tears don't save people. 
It's probably one of the things that, that it's always difficult to get the youth group to understand. But because as, as teenagers, we, we often really, uh, we carry our emotions uh, almost on our shoulder. We're, 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 we're kind of dramatic sometimes when we're younger. And we really enjoy extreme emotions. We love, to, we love to be at a ball game or a party where everything is so much fun. We love to dance and sing. And we love all of that. But then sometimes when, when it goes bad, we'll just cry and cry and cry. It's like the end of the world. Sometimes as teenagers, we're so very emotional. And spiritually, we want our spiritual lives to be the same way. So, so often when we're young, we, we crave these emotional highs, the kind of high that you get at camp or, or at D-Now or something like that. The problem is you start thinking that, that, that that's what faith is. That if you can have an experience at the altar where you cry and all your friends come around and they cry with you, that that must have been something really, really important. I, I'm telling you, it's not about those emotions. Jesus isn't looking for a emotion from you. Now, now let me say, a little more emotion would help some of you. It helps some of you. I mean, honestly, some of you need to cry some tears, and actually that's what Jesus says. He doesn't tell them not to cry. He just reminds them what's worth crying over. And you know what's worth crying over? Your sorry self. Don't cry for me, Jesus says. Cry for yourself. Your sorry self. Jesus has to help them, you see, connect this dot between themselves and his suffering. Truly, they've got to connect the dots between their sin and his suffering. Their sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't want your sympathy. He's not looking for your tears. It really doesn't matter how many D-Now weekends or how many weeks at camp or how many times in your life you have this incredible fresh encounter where you have these emotional responses. Do you understand? Those emotional responses are meaningless if they're not accompanied by repentance, by a genuine life change. Something's got to be different in you. And the only thing that can make that kind of difference is when you become broken over your sin. Your sin. And you have to connect that dot between your brokenness, your sin, your need for forgiveness, and that man who died as your Savior. Don't weep for me, Jesus says. Weep for yourselves. you got to connect the dot, you understand? you got to connect that dot between your sins and what Jesus has done. We don't do this well. The daughters of Jerusalem and everybody else for that matter just couldn't see that Jesus' movement down the street that day was a consequence of their sins. And because they can't see that, they don't understand that there are worst consequences of their sin on the way. This is what Jesus says on the way to the cross. He stops and reminds these women that, 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 that truly, if they think that this is a bad day, they haven't seen bad days yet. And the bad day coming, the, the awful judgment day coming, do you understand? That's a consequence of sin. You've got to learn to trace the lines back to your sin. This past week, a group of us went to... Uh, Nashville to, to serve the homeless, and I, I got to be with Tim Goss that night. Uh, uh, it, it was an amazing night of ministry. Uh, Tim Goss met a man under the bridge in Nashville, 
And he was actually very honest with Tim, and Tim did a wonderful job sharing Christ with this man. It's, it's beautiful. Um, but the man had been a cocaine addict, and that's pretty much why he was under the bridge. He's a cocaine addict. Tim had a long conversation with the man, and a good spiritual conversation. As, as it was ending, Tim said, how can I pray for you? And the man said, pray that I get some money. Pray that I get some money. Tim said, if you had some money, what would you do? And said, I'd buy drugs. Appreciate his honesty. I'd buy drugs. I appreciate Tim Goss's honesty. He said, you know what Tim said? Tim said, what would you do with the money? He said, I'd buy drugs. Tim said, that's probably why God ain't giving you money. <laughs> Not a joke. You understand? There's sin and there's consequences. It's not just enough in your life to look at what happens and wonder why it's happening. Do you understand? Faith causes you to, to ask questions about meaning. What, what does this mean? And most importantly, what is God doing? What is God saying? You see, this is how spiritual people think. This is how true believers, this is how Christians think. They're always looking past uh, circumstances to try to figure out what's what's beyond and beneath the circumstances. It's not enough to notice that your kids are rebelling, rebelling. You have to start asking why. It's not enough to wonder why you're bored in church. You should start asking yourself why you have no appetite for spiritual things. It's not enough to wonder why bad things keep happening to you. At some point, maybe you should stop and see if there's a line that you can trace, a line from what's happening to you to somehow the choices you're making. Do you understand? Jesus wants these women to, to trace a line past what they're seeing with their eyes today to a day that's coming that's going to be much more dreadful. have no idea how to interpret verse 31. I, I really don't know what Jesus is saying. For if these things are done when the tree is green, these things are done. I, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. He must be saying something about the violence, something about the, the suffering of this day. These things, if these things are done when the tree is green, I don't know what that means. I don't think anybody knows exactly what that means. There are ideas when a tree is green, when the tree is young, or maybe before things are ripe, I don't know. Is Jesus saying if these things are happening before, before everything is set in motion for judgment, if this is how bad it is but before that judgment day, think about how much worse it will be when the tree is dry, when it's harvest time. Think about how much worse it will be when that day comes. I don't know exactly what the green tree and the dry tree is about, but I'm pretty sure what Jesus is saying is you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think this is bad, if you think this is suffering, if you think this is judgment, you haven't seen anything yet. Now remember, this is Jesus. He loves these people. He's dying for these people. He hasn't slept in days. He has been beaten. He has been given no water, nothing to drink. The loss of blood, incredible. He can barely put one foot in front of the other. He's speaking to almost no one. He doesn't even speak to the officers, doesn't even speak to the judges who hold his life in their hands or so they think. He has nothing to say to anyone, but he stops and talks to these women crying for him. 
And what he says to them has to do with their own judgment. Something tells me that it's a very, very important message. Not just for the people who saw Jesus die all those years ago, but maybe important for those of us who hear the story today. Jesus isn't looking for your sympathy. He's looking for your repentance. He's not asking you to have a broken heart over what happened to him. He's asking you to get a little bit broken up about what's going to happen to you if you don't begin to understand what he's done for you. Jesus says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Truly, weep for yourselves. Pray with me. Even still, Lord Jesus, there's a whole world of people who just don't get it. They don't understand. Lord, there are people in the sound of my voice right now that they're not getting it either. Truly, Lord, they celebrate Easter every single year. They see you on the cross, Lord. Sometimes they think about how horrible that looks, but they never stop to really begin to ask what it means for them. That there is one who has died so that they could be saved, Lord. There are absolutely millions of people who are perishing, Lord, who never stop to ask what it all means. Lord, their eyes are blind because they don't have faith, that their eyes are blind because they've not been told or because they've not responded, Lord. I just pray that in this house today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that all over people hearing my voice, that it will be your voice that they hear. I pray, Lord, that they would stop chasing after some sort of emotional experience, Lord, and instead look for some experience of genuine repentance. Lord, I pray that we would learn to, to weep over our own sorry selves, Lord, our own sin. Lord, I pray that we weep, would weep over our own bondage and our own inability, Lord, to save ourselves, Lord. I, I pray that we could weep when we see our children perishing and our grandchildren perishing. I, I, I pray, Lord, that we would weep a little bit when we think about our, our community. Lord, right here at Woodburn, that, that, that never darkens the door of any church, Lord, a community of families perishing. Lord, we cry, but for all the wrong things. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts today for, for our own souls, for the souls of our children, for the souls of our friends, for the souls of the world, who watch you pass by with the cross, continue on with their lives. Lord Jesus, I, I ask you to speak to hearts today. I ask you, Lord, to... Let your Holy Spirit have full control over what happens in, in the remainder of the service, Lord. There are individuals in this house who need to, to make their hearts right with you, Lord. There are individuals who are going to face severe consequences for their sin, and I pray, Lord, that you will bring them home to you before it's too late, Lord. Just because today is a day of mercy does not mean there's not a day of judgment coming. Open our eyes, Jesus, to see the things that have true meaning and to understand what everything means. 
We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.